welcome to the JNMP podcast. My name is Elizabeth Hyten, and I'm going to be joined today by one of our own JNMP associate editors, Professor Satoshi Kuwabara, who's the professor of neurology at Chiba University Hospital, and has recently published in the JNMP looking at chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathies, in particular intravenous immunoglobulin in these disorders. So Satoshi, thank you so much for joining me today on the JNMP podcast. Hello, thank you very much. My first question for the purposes of myself and also the listeners is is really an overview of what CIDP is and how is it commonly treated? Okay, CIDP, uh, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy, the long name, is a rare but uh, the most common chronic autoimmune neuropathy. Just like Guillain-Barre syndrome is the most common acute autoimmune neuropathy, CIDP is a chronic version of representative uh, immune-mediated neuropathy. Uh, CIDP is defined as polyneuropathy uh, progressive for more than two months and electrophysiological evidence of peripheral nerve demyelination. So nerve conduction studies essential for the detection of nerve demyelination and usually shows nerve conduction slowing and conduction block. So when we see patient with uh, chronic polyneuropathy, evidence of nerve demyelination leads to the diagnosis of CIDP. Sometimes the uh, diagnosis is difficult. The differential diagnosis includes other chronic demyelinating neuropathies, such as uh, Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, diabetic neuropathy, uh, or poem syndrome, or uh, other. Clinically, in typical CIDP, proximal muscles also involved as well as distal muscles. And this pattern of muscle involvement is a prominent feature for typical CIDP because other polyneuropathy preferentially affect distal muscles. So this pattern of muscle weakness strongly suggests diagnosis of CIDP. And uh, the diagnostic criteria proposed by the European Federation of Neurological Society and the Peripheral Nerve Society published in 2005, the criteria generally used worldwide and useful for the diagnosis of CIDP. And how is it commonly treated? So the important point is uh, CIDP is a treatable disease. Uh, Currently, there are three standard treatments for CIDP, corticosteroids, intravenous immunoglobin are used in this study, and plasma exchange. So these three treatments are equally effective, but intravenous immunoglobulin IVIG is generally preferred treatment because it has less adverse effect events uh, compared with corticosteroid, long-term use of corticosteroid and uh, plasma exchange. So in many countries, IVIG is a first-line treatment for CIDP. It's the first-line treatment, and how sort of effective is IVIG, and are there things that we don't know about the um, efficacy of it? The efficacy of IVIG is 
established by several clinical trials. Previous trials and their meta-analysis showed uh, muscle weakness and sensory loss. Uh, these are main symptoms in CIDP patients. Rapidly improved by Ibrazi. However, the mechanisms of action had not been sufficiently understood. Plasma exchange is easy. Uh, it's reasonably effective by removal of pathogenetic autoantibodies. So this is a clear explanation. But Ibrazi mechanism action probably uh, infused uh, exogenous immunoglobulin neutralize the pathogenetic autoantibodies or IVIG result in competitive inhibition of macrophage FG receptors and suppress macrophage function that invades the peripheral nerve. The precise mechanism of action is still unknown, but IVIG probably has a multiple mechanism and uh, any, anyway improves CIDP. So with this in mind, what did the particular trial that's just been published sort of set to investigate? IVIG is usually administered daily for five consecutive days. This is a single series of IVIG treatment for induction treatment. And uh, this induction treatment results in rapid improvement However, the half-life of immunoglobulin is about three weeks, and the serum concentration of immunoglobulin gradually decreases over the one or two months. So, consequently, a patient frequently experiences relapse of their symptom one or two months after the first infusion. So, this is called IVIG wearing off. So patients require repeated infusion. So and the previous study recommended uh, infusion every three weeks. And, and this is maintenance uh, IVIG treatment. So previous clinical trial data on maintenance IVIG therapy were limited up to 24 weeks uh, treatment period. Uh, it's just up to 24 weeks. So therefore, in this study, we aimed to investigate the long-term efficacy and safety of IVIG for up to 52 weeks, uh, that is one year. Okay. And what were the major findings, what were the major outcomes of the particular trial, thinking about sort of 52 weeks of IVIG and the long-term efficacy of that? In this study, we enrolled 49 CIDP patients, and 78 of them responded well to induction IVIG treatment. Uh, these are responders. Then these responders continued maintenance IVIG infusion up to 52 weeks, and 90% of them kept clinical remission at week 52, uh, one year later. So. Maintenance IVIG treatment every three weeks is effective for at least one year period in the majority of CIDP patients. This is the major finding. 
And how can, I mean, that's a very um, promising finding, the idea that the long-term use of IVIG can, in fact, continue to have a response from the patients. How can that result be translated into clinical care? And, and is there a reason to interpret the results of the trial with, with an element of caution, if you are a clinician listening to this podcast or reading your paper? In, in, anyway, as our results show, uh, maintenance IVIG can be used for one, one year to keep uh, continuous remission. So one problem uh, regarding long-term treatment is after induction therapy uh, with either IVIG, uh, corticosteroid, or plasmapheresis or something, about 25% of CIDP patients have long-lasting remission without treatment after the stop of treatment. So for such benign patients, one-year treatment is not necessary. So, and we should avoid over-treatment. So, practically, maintenance IVIG may be stopped if patients have a continuous clinical remission, for example, for three months or some time. So, in that case, uh, we may stop the treatment and uh, carefully observe the patient will have uh, relapse or still maintain uh, remission. This is one problem. So the other problem was thrombotic complication. So I intravenous uh, immunoglobulin. Immunoglobulin is a large molecule substance, so they increase serum osmolality and uh, long-term use of immunoglobulin potentially triggers uh, cardiovascular thromboembolic e- events, so such as cerebral infarction or myocardial infarction. So actually, uh, in our 49 patients, two patients developed small cerebral infarction during the treatment. So for patients with High vascular risk, such as uh, high age, diabetes, hyperlipidemia. So maintenance IVIG should be carefully performed and thromboembolic events should be carefully monitored. So this is another conclusion of our study. So it sounds like a promising potential new long-term treatment for our patients, but as with anything, it does come with an element of, of risk and therefore individual cases need to be approached on a sort of individual basis by the clinician as per most medical treatment. Yeah, that's right. Well, Professor um, Kuwabara, thank you so much for joining us on the JNMP podcast today and to speaking to me about the trial. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. So that was Professor Satoshi Kurabara from the Chiba University Hospital, um, and his paper is available online now on jnmp.bmj.com, and excitingly is of course free to download like all JNMP podcast papers. And we thank you very much for listening. Mm-hmm.